Everybody, welcome to episode 30 of the Handsome Hockey Podcast. My name is Jake. I'm sitting here with Evan. Hi, I'm Evan. Our podcast now officially has mysterious back pain that won't go away. And like all of its joints creak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 30 is a big, big existential crisis for our podcast. (laughs) It's a milestone in that we uh, are very tired. (laughs) We accidentally bought a Miata. Our quarter life crisis plus five Mm -hmm. has sprung. Well, I mean, thanks to medical advances, we're going to live to 120. So this is just the quarter life crisis. That sounds awful. Um, (laughs) Please, please, doctors, don't keep me alive that long. Yeah. It'd be cool to hit like 90, I think. I think my grandma's 92. Uh and Doing pretty good. Yeah, she's doing great. But uh, yeah, 120 sounds just fucking awful. (laughs) We are now recording after the NWHL Awards. Yeah, definitely not before. <laughs> I I feel like a sham in a lot of ways because <laughs> we recorded the the last episode two days before the awards were going to be announced, but I couldn't get it edited in time. And so it came <laughs> out like, I think it posted to Red Circle two hours after they had announced everything. And uh-huh. I was like, well, now we look like frauds. <laughs> because... Yeah. We got all of the awards correct. Every single one. <laughs> Although I went back and listened to us and we kind of straddled some decisions and like talked about things. So I'm not sure. Like, but we still won. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's a winner. We're babe. five for five. <laughs> I mean, I also think that speaks to just how convincingly all of these players arguments for those awards were. Because I looked at a lot of other predictions and everyone was like, yeah, Michaela Grant Mantis deserves MVP. And Kaylee Fratkin, as you pointed out, there was no argument against her being Defense Woman of the Year because she led the whole fucking thing in points. Like, (laughs) You could say that Shannon Doyle and Lindsay Eastwood may have had a bigger impact Mm -hmm. on their teams this year just because of the whale were so bad Mm -hmm. the previous year and Toronto didn't exist the previous year. And there were a lot of questions going into the wobble about whether or not they would be able to hang defensively. Mm -hmm. And those questions were emphatically answered yes. So you could say that they had a bigger impact. And that was one of the ones that when I really thought about it, when I thought in depth about it, when I got like below surface level, I was like, actually, there's some questions to ask here. Mm. But then when you like zoom out from the 30 to the 30,000 foot view, you're like, oh, but she led the te- the league in points <laughs> Yeah, on the team that won the championship and was from the defensive position. Yeah. So yeah, that one really didn't um, surprise me at all. The goaltender of the year, we were kind of split between Amanda Levier and Lovisa Sealander. Mm-hmm. But I think we concluded that either could win and would be a rightful winner. Mm-hmm. And so when Amanda Levier won, it's just the fish pads, man. They put it over the top. Yeah. And you can't, can't argue with in a close pads. contest style points matter. <laughs> I can't think of a male hockey goalie that has pads that cool. So yeah, style points for sure help. And then unfortunately we couldn't hand out an honorable mention to Mallory Suliotis for cutest cat. Because <laughs> uh, her kitten Gordy is 
the cutest and uh, her pictures of him on Twitter just kill me every time. <laughs> I would say I like Mark Andre Fleury's all gold pads. I think those are pretty legit. Oh yeah, those are awesome. Those are pretty legit. I mean, no fish decals. I I understand, but all gold pads for a team in Vegas is pretty legit. And the gold leather looks a whole lot cooler than the gold helmets for some reason. It's like got it's more not of a, as sparkly. Yeah, and it's got a little bit more depth. It's more of like a copperish. I don't know. It it just looks cooler. Yeah, there's something still strange to me about those damn golden helmets. Well, it's because they're so shiny. Like, if they did them, and I hate to say anything Notre Dame does is cool, but, like, Notre Dame's helmets are gold, but they're not bright metallic gold. No, it's because they use actual actual, gold, right? Because they they have that money. Yeah, they got that Catholic money. They got that touchdown Jesus money. (laughs) They got that Catholic money. (laughs) Got that NBC money. Yeah. NBC. Pro Notre Dame. Not pro NHL. (laughs) NBC. Now has what IndyCart and Notre Dame football and the Kentucky Derby and Premier League, right? Yes. Well, no, because they're well, they're also disbanding NBC Sports. So, well, somebody I don't know. I think it was on Puck Soup. Somebody suggested that NBC was going to turn around and double down on soccer. Oh yeah, absolutely. Now that they're out of hockey, I mean, if they got the rights to another European league and then some MLS games or whatever, I think they'd be fine. But I think they're transitioning all that to USA, a network I forgot existed. Yeah, I know. Right. I mean, occasionally I tune into a trailblazers game and that's on TNT. Oh yeah. Yeah. Another (laughs) exactly. Fuck. Well, TNT is the other company that acquired Earl Turner media is the other team that, or other camp that got rights to the NHL. Mm hmm. I'm actually really hopeful. This is kind of a devar- departure from our script, but I'm actually really hopeful because I don't watch the NBA at all, but I would watch the TNT pregame show. It's entertaining. It's funny. Mm-hmm. The people seem to get along and like, you know, they they probably had a drink beforehand and then... <laughs> but just one. Yeah, just one. They're responsible. You contrast that with Patrick Sharp, who is a beautiful man, definitely a handsome hockey podcast award winner, <laughs> but... Like he's just sitting there stiff and then everybody in the world hates Mike Babcock and he's hanging out and like Keith, Keith Jones. Jones is just angry. Keith Jones. I don't like modern hockey. Keith Jones. I don't know if Keith Jones opens his mouth when he talks. It's just like a <laughs> grumble. I mean, that that was Mike Milbury, too. For some point in time, I was sort of convinced that they were the same. Person. I legit couldn't tell them apart. And I thought that that broadcast was going to get better when they kicked off Mike Milbury and made it just Keith Jones and Liam McHugh and company. But somehow the energy of the two old men yelling at each other was somehow missed. It just kind of became one old man and then everyone else afraid of him. I don't know what happened. It's, but It's a bunch of dudes who should go broadcast on a sport that I don't care about and Anson Carter. Mm-hmm. Anson Carter can stay. Yeah. He's great. Oh, yeah. And actually, I think Patrick Sharp is also good. Um, Free Patrick Sharp. Somebody told me that I guess like the goal of that broadcast was to kind of dumb things down for casual fans, but then kind of does a bad job of it. I would like to see like Sharp BXA. Yeah. Anson Carter would be awesome. I mean, Liam McHugh can stay. And well, they got Catherine Tappen. Yeah. And Catherine Tappen. Like, yeah. that's four right there that I think, you know, they're all, they all seem on the outside like decent people and it legitimately enjoy each other's company. I'm really excited to see. 
what ESPN does. John Butchergross can actually be free again to mm-hmm. like talk about sports he cares about. I'm all really excited to see what TNT does it does with it. They've announced, you know, they're going to try and find a system that replicates the the like humor and fun of their NBA broadcast. And that sounds like a treat to me personally. I, I'm I'm ecstatic for it. Excited for where that broadcast could go. Hopefully they don't screw it up like NBC did. Speaking of screwing things up, mm. the IIHF and the province of Nova Scotia screwed up some women's <laughs> hockey. <laughs> they got pretty screwed up there for a little bit. Yeah, Nova Scotia was set to host the uh, 2021 IIHF Women's World Championship and then abruptly canceled it. The day that teams were getting on planes to come to it. Yeah. They canceled it. And they were rightfully pissed. As many were quick to point out, you know, there wasn't any sort of a backup plan. Whereas, you know, if the IHF Men's World Championship, like there would be four fucking backup plans and, you know, different sites in Canada and, you know, maybe, I don't know, an island owned by a billionaire off the coast of South America or something. You know, they can't have the Falklands because... The fucking British Navy will destroy you for that. Aren't the Falklands like full of mines after that war? I remember hearing about some weird ecological happening where there were enough mines on some small island as a result of that war that some bird that was light enough to not set off the mines had like taken over this island. (laughs) It's like the Canary Islands with war. (laughs) The good news is... The IAHF Women's World Championships have now been rescheduled for August 20 to 31st. So hopefully that this doesn't get pushed back further and, you know, can go off without the hitch that that we were looking at. Women's hockey has this really solid momentum right now. We've seen Mm -hmm. some really great PWHPA games. We've seen the NWHL finally hand out an Isabel Cup and their awards. (laughs) Their draft is coming up in June. Mm Mm-hmm. And we also saw them expand their salary cap. Yes. That's and what announce to. intentions to expand the league. It's if not now yeah. soon, like women's hockey has this great momentum right now. And so getting the world's rescheduled is a huge boon to the game and just to keep it in the public eye as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that's how you keep growing the sport. You keep it in the public eye and also like you can gain an attachment to teams and players and and that's really what allows a league to take off is when people gain an attachment to it like i didn't know the first thing about soccer when i decided that i wanted to give it a shot it was the summer of 2005 and the world cup was coming up in 2006 and i knew Mm -hmm. i wanted to go Mm -hmm. crazy over that Mostly because I was in college and wanted to drink, but <laughs> really early in the morning. But if there was ever a time to <laughs> to drink, it's during the World Cup, right? And in college. And so <laughs> I'm just imagining you like bright eyed, bushy tailed, young college freshman. And you're like going past a bar on your way to class. And there's some soccer hooligans at, you know, drunk at 830 in the morning. You're like. What are those guys doing? I want to do that. I want to be that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's how I started playing cello. It was like, I just want that big boxy thing. That looks fun. <laughs> I watched some England matches, uh, English youth matches, and Aaron Lennon was running around like a lightning bolt faster than everybody. This tiny little legs just going. 
bitch. <laughs> and I was like, I like that guy because I didn't know anything about soccer. So I was like, he's fast. That's something I can relate to mm. from my other sports that I enjoy. Being fast in those sports? Yeah. I can't relate to that. Well, I can't personally, but like. Oh, shut up. You're th- fast. But no, like that's a trait that trans- transfers to other sports. Oh, yeah. So like, yeah. So like you're a fast wide receiver, like you're a fast running back, you have breakaway speed. (laughs) Al Davis is going to draft you. Yeah. yeah. Al Davis would have, would have drafted Aaron London second overall. (laughs) Um, But so I was like, who does he play for? He plays for Tottenham Hotspur. They're my team. And so, you know, 15 years later and I'm a Spurs fan and Aaron London is long gone. But so like you build relations with a team with players and that's how you stay connected to the game and that those connections those are the ones that last and so the more that women's hockey can be in the forefront and be on tv and be on twitch the more uh, people will be able the more accessible it becomes the more apt people are to stay focused on it and to keep watching yeah the blazing speed of like Teresa vanisova i think is kind of comparable to like she became one of my favorite players to watch just because she is absolutely a burner and uh yeah so i completely know where you're coming from and you've got to find like kind of that i don't know rung of fandom and then you move up to the next rung and you kind of climb your way into being a a true fan one thing we wouldn't suggest is becoming a fan because you started a hockey podcast because (laughs) because we don't need any more <laughs> yeah we're trying hard as like there's already like 1635 hockey podcasts <laughs> yeah i was when i was in undergrad jeffrey eugenides had uh, he came in uh, to speak to one of my classes and mm-hmm. somebody asked him he was like i'm an aspiring writer like i, I like that's what i want to do with my life what would you suggest what's your ex- what, what would you suggest me to do and he was like don't <laughs> and they're like, what don't he's like, yeah, don't write at all. I don't need competition. <laughs> so that's where I'm coming from. Like, <laughs> Well, that was the biggest bummer with the whole, uh, uh, bell, like firing everybody that covered hockey for them is all of a sudden overnight, there were like 500 more hockey podcasts. Yeah. Hopefully they just like kind of joined together to become one mecha podcast, <laughs> one giant and uh, dethrone uh, spitting chiclets. Yeah. King rat. Hockey podcast, Rat King hockey podcast, yeah. and then and the, yes, and then we just it's like, uh, if someone starts Rat King hockey podcast, I want residuals for the name. Rat King hockey podcast would be just solely focused on Brad Marchand and Eric Carlson's hair, <laughs> yeah, and mustache. I mean, there's a lot of info. There's a lot of ways to go with those. <laughs> Speaking of facial hair, oh yeah, uh, Austin Matthews. And to a much lesser extent, Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid can grow a decent beard, but usually doesn't. But Austin Matthews, like, how can somebody who is so young look so dad? He's pulling some real, like, Ron Jeremy. In the best way possible. Yeah, yeah, that's in no way a slander to Austin Matthews. It's just that stash. Yeah, it's like part Ron Jeremy, part Pablo Escobar, part I can score whenever I want. I loved the pictures of him and Mitch Marner and Joe Thornton out rollerblading around, I think, Vancouver in advance of a game. They had an off day or something. You know, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner just look like 
you beach bums in Venice Beach, California, just rollerblading around. And then Joe Thornton is like, has his shirt off and looks like he's straight from Coachella. He's got like a selfie stick with a GoPro and his huge ass beard. It's like between the three of them, Joe Thornton looks like the one with the party drugs. <laughs> well, Joe Thornton and Brett Burns used to walk around town shirtless oh, yeah. as well. Didn't they do a, a ESPN The Body issue with the two of them? Probably. I don't know. And they were just like naked with beards and crazy faces. Well, there was also the Toronto Maple Leafs doing the salute to Patrick Marlowe with Marner and Matthews. And, and then, then Thorin just walks out with his donger out. <laughs> he just likes being naked. I mean, he's like... I think most professional athletes do because mm. they look like professional athletes. Yeah, but he's older, has the huge Santa beard, but is still pretty ripped and physically imposing i always I, I think of him like the dad of the team like coming in naked to make a point about you keeping your music down or something like <laughs> well if you don't want to see dad naked keep yeah don't turn it past here on yeah, the knob <laughs> right, yeah because otherwise we'll see dad's knob yeah <laughs> anyways uh so mcdavid and matthews are doing some pretty impressive things up north this year that probably we should be covering a little bit more. Oh, yeah. It's I, absolutely stupefying. We haven't talked about Connor McDavid in probably like four episodes. And in the meantime, he's on pace for 145 points in an 82-game season, which is ridiculous. Yeah. That the, is 1.78 points per game, which is bonkers. The rate he was scoring at or is scoring at this year the only two players who have ever had a higher scoring rate in a season are named Gretzky and Lemieux. So that's wow. just where he's at right now. It's pretty unreal. And we're witnessing one of the great seasons in NHL history, especially considering the con the constraints of this season. Mm -hmm. It makes it that more impressive. Matthews, on the other hand, is at 0.71 goals per game, which would give him put him on a 61 goal pace over 82 games. Since 2000, only Ovechkin and Stamkos have scored that many goals in a season. So we're looking at some historically great offense coming from north of the border. And, mm -hmm. you know, there have been some like, oh, well, the, the north sucks. And so like, mm -mm. who cares? Like, who <laughs> who fucking cares? Just enjoy it. Why are we why do we want to poo poo the, these milestones? Nathan McKinnon is 20, who is arguably the second best player in hockey. Okay, mm -hmm. like. I mean, arguably, but probably the second best player in hockey, like overall player, is 24 points behind Connor McDavid. And he plays in a division with the Coyotes, the Kings, the Ducks, the mm -hmm. Sharks, who all suck. <laughs> and like, but we're but we're gonna bag on the on the North. Like, yeah, the Canucks suck this year. The Flames are okay, but kind of bad. Ottawa is Ottawa. But like then it's what Montreal who's decent. Like we'll see what happens when whoever wins the North gets into this four way playoff at the end. But what McDavid and Matthews are doing is absolutely ridiculous. And mm -hmm. we should just be like giving like the golf clap and taking, letting them take their victory lap. Like this is incredible. Yeah. And other people taking a victory lap are those that said buy low on the goal scorers in the North this year in like fantasy hockey, because that absolutely happened. We said before the season, like these superstars are going to absolutely torch 
the defense and goalies in the North. And that exactly came to pass. Funny how McDavid and Dreisaitl and Matthews and Marner and company versus the Matt Murrays of the world absolutely has produced silly numbers of goals. Speaking of Toronto, though, Toronto is now officially the only team in the North that has clinched a playoff spot with Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Montreal following close behind. But as we kind of surmised last week that by the time we recorded this week, there would be a number of teams that had clinched Mm -hmm. when we only had a couple last week. Uh, Toronto, Carolina, Tampa, Florida, Colorado, Vegas, Minnesota, the Caps, the Isles, the Pens have all now clinched playoff berths. The Bruins need one point after they babes they they turned it on a little bit and they also watched the Rangers get shut out by Semyon Varlamov all weekend. We're looking at Boston on the verge of clinching and setting up or finishing off the East. Long way to go in the north still, although the gap between the Canadians and the Flames is eight points. So we might see that kind of close off in the next, you know, probably mid next week. If Flames Flames, aren't making it. No, no. We we know this, but like you're still mathematically (laughs) capable. Yeah. I saw a great interview of uh, Mike Smith, former Flames goalie, now goalie for the Oilers. And, uh, you know, he got a win against them to really put a dagger into their playoff hopes. And someone asked, how does that feel to, or does that feel good to, you know, put your former team out of the playoffs? And he just goes, yep. (laughs) We've also seen Detroit, Columbus, Ottawa, Philly, New Jersey, Buffalo, and Anaheim eliminated from the playoffs in the last week or so. Uh, not surprising for a lot of those and we're gonna see the kings and the sharks and the flames and vancouver and the rangers and the blackhawks all probably join that pretty soon yeah i'm surprised the blackhawks aren't already on that list um because we've all pretty much (laughs) yeah we've all pretty much written them off at this point it's looking like the only real playoff battle that we have left because it's st louis seems to have the edge a Mm -hmm. decided edge against arizona now they're up three points but have three games in hand yeah that's over. and have looked a lot better in the last two weeks a lot better they've looked absolutely amazing i mean ryan o'reilly is put on his superman shirt and is playing some amazing alt folk for those people (laughs) it's just walking around with a hockey stick that transforms into an acoustic guitar (laughs) Uh, but the, so the last the last real playoff push is between Nashville and Dallas in the central and it might the pendulum might have swung back to Nashville. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, actually. Uh, two teams that been rooting against all year. I'm still rooting down, against them. Right. Might come down to the wire. Yeah. Can neither of them get in? Like, that'd be convenient. Yeah. Can we just let Columbus in just for the shenanigans? <laughs> yeah. So Nashville. Dallas does have a game in hand on the Preds, but is now three points behind after losing three straight. The Preds have, you know, have had a, a decent run in for the last just month ever since UC Saros came back healthy and mm-hmm. started, you know, being what we thought UC Saros could be. Let's see. Nashville has four games left. Dallas has five. We're getting down to the real nitty gritty here, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But I don't foresee 
Dallas really surmounting that at this point. So Nashville finishes with two against Columbus, who have stopped trying, (laughs) and two against Carolina, who have already clinched. Dallas finishes with a game against Florida tomorrow, Monday, May 3rd, two against Tampa, Mm. and Chicago. Two against Chicago, all on the road. Hmm. So... Yeah, it does not look good for him. My gut says Nashville's in the playoffs. So, which, you know, once you make it, you can, you you see what happens. But at the same time, they get the rights to meet up and get chewed up by Carolina. So, good luck. Enjoy. Right now, Money Puck has Nashville at 82.1% chance to make the playoffs and Dallas at 17.8%. On one side, I'll be like, oh, yeah, Dallas didn't make the playoffs. Meh, meh, meh. And the other side, I'll be like, oh, but Nashville did. They're boring. <laughs> I root for Nashville over Dallas easily. Yes, absolutely. Partially because, I mean, the, the Texas thing and also partially because, you know, Nashville's kind of slightly little brother to Chicago franchise-wise. Kind of down the street, there's been a healthy rivalry for many years between those two teams so. they throw fish on the ice <laughs> they just throw catfish on the like ice yeah big ass fish yeah i prefer throwing catfish on the ice to throwing uh octopus on the ice oh you I go don't... fuck yourself Evan. <laughs> i don't know why i just like the octopus has symbolism the catfish is just a bottom feeder fish <laughs> it's a trash fish yeah but the the visual of it for some reason i'm like you like, can swing an octopi. And you can great. swing a catfish too. Nah, uh, I, think, I think you can swing a catfish false. better. False. At, like it's it's sort of like nebulous and g- gelatinous and and you know that an octopus is only nebulous and gelatinous, right? That's what I mean. And yeah. and whereas you know, catfish like I don't know. I feel like you can really get some force behind it. I'm upset by this conversation. <laughs> I'm triggered. <laughs> I knew you would be. I'm going to cancel this. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of getting canceled, mm, mm-hmm, mm. we are probably on the verge of a Vancouver Canuck being canceled for all the right reasons. Yeah. So this week, some pretty serious sexual assault accusations were leveled against Jake for and of the Vancouver Canucks and the Canucks have now uh, suspended him pending an investigation and um, you know, we don't exactly know where this will go right now. It's pretty early in the saga, how things go, but um, they've taken appropriate steps so far. One of the things that you notice whenever these sorts of allegations come out is that people rush to jump to a side Mm -hmm. and it's usually women on the side of the victim and men on the side of the accuser or of the accused. And we don't feel like that's an appropriate response really. Like either way you're reducing people's importance and you know, the quality of their stories. So our mindset happen is in all of these situations, you should believe the victim, believe in their story, believe in what they're saying, because in that way, you allow them to start the healing process. You and you allow them an ear, you allow them to use their voice, which is one of the things that are most critically silenced in sexual assault cases. 
it's it's paramount for victims of sexual assault to be able to begin that healing process. It's a very long process, and a lot of times people either a don't ever heal or don't get access to the types of things that would allow them to start that process and to actually begin to you know mentally rebound from such a traumatic experience. Yeah, and the reality is that so few of these types of accusations turn out to be completely unfounded uh, yet many of them don't ever get adjudicated in the court of law uh many of them don't ever result in charges you know even if there are charges they're all often hard to make stick so simply kind of pointing at prior stories of players that have been accused but maybe not actually had to face consequences because of all of the systemic pieces that prejudice the system for the accused, it's not really honest to say that the courts are the ultimate judge of what did or did not happen in these situations. It's messy. It gets really messy really fast, especially if you involve a professional athlete. And, you know, also there are statutes of limitation that make these things complicated and, um, you know, investigators and kind of victim blaming and all of this that really muddies the waters in uh, sexual assault cases. And so we just hope that this one is treated with the gravitas that it deserves and investigated fully and that, you know, Jake Vertanen is given all the consequences that he deserves. I was going through the the Twitter sphere mm-hmm. and just kind of looking for reactions to this, not necessarily wanting to comment on them, but just to kind of put my finger on the pulse mm-hmm. and knowing that we would be recording this weekend after this had come out. Right. One of the responses that really struck me was um, Georgia Twist at Georgia Twist, who is one of the members of the broadcast mm-hmm. po- reposting something that they wrote in 2018 in response to Austin Watson's incident. Okay. And uh, in Austin Watson's incident, he was found guilty. He, despite his girlfriend at the time, not wanting to press charges, mm-hmm. he admitted that he had put his hands on her was suspended for, I believe 28 games and then had it reduced to 18. In going through that process, we found out that the NHL doesn't have a domestic violence policy. Yikes. Um, Do they have one now? No. God, what? Yeah, I'll get to that. <laughs> Come on, NHL. Georgia writes, as a female sports fan, and honestly, like this data is devastating, and the Austin Watson case provides a clear example of the marginalization of female hockey fans. In particular, what is it they always say? It's a man's league. It's just boys being boys. I love hockey. I have my whole life, but sometimes the inherent misogyny becomes exhausting. Following the announcement, the NHL came out with a separate statement that criticized the arbiter's decision regarding the suspension. I applaud this critique. However, out of the big four leagues, the NHL remains the only one without a domestic violence policy in place. In our current climate of Me Too and Time's Up, it is time for Mr. Bettman to step up to the plate and be proactive and progressive with this issue. If the NHL truly wants to celebrate us, us being women, as their tweet states, then they need to recognize the harsh reality of domestic violence as an issue in women's lives and an issue in sports in general. 
What message do you want to send to those young girls pictured skating? Because the one sent yesterday sure as hell wasn't empowering at all. And to that point, they still don't have a domestic violence policy. I mean, let's be honest. We love hockey. We love the NHL. But you can love the NHL and not love parts of it. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those parts. Shows how far behind the times the NHL really is. When you take the entire tapestry or the tapestry of the last, say, 10 years, you see the the reduction in suspensions for Austin Watson and Slava Voinov, their lackluster response to racial justice protests in the wake of the George Floyd killing, handling of the Black Lives Movement, and their response to the conviction of Derek Chauvin, as you mentioned earlier. The league has a responsibility to protect those most vulnerable in and outside of its game and has routinely failed to do this. And I applaud the efforts of a largely female contingent of both reporters and fans condemning the NHL on this. Mm -hmm. It's now is not the time for inaction. The NHL should come out and make a statement about this. It came out and made a statement about Austin Watson. It made a statement about Slava Voinov. It made a statement about Patrick Kane. And I would say that one is probably coming and this is relatively new and the allegations were leveled privately. But waiting a week when something Mm -hmm. has, when the Canucks have already taken a stance and have suspended Jake Vertanen pending review, that's enough time for the NHL to craft a statement. The statement here doesn't need to be anything thorough. It needs to be better than their response to the Derek Chauvin verdict. But to stay silent is to consent to to stay uh, silent is to be complicit. Yeah, and in the in any era, but especially the era we're in now, where we're finally at least talking about these things, there's no room for silence, and the NHL really needs to step up to the plate and prove that it is compassionate. Yeah, they need some better PR people. It seems to me the teams were all able to craft better statements than them over the Derek Chauvin verdict and that, you know, the Canucks are taking the lead here doesn't say good things about the NHL. It seems like every lame dude that's jumping in to defend Jake Vertanen on Twitter seems like enamored with Patrick Kane these days, even the Canucks fans, which is strange. They're all trotting him out as some like poor player who was smeared in the media and unfairly accused of sexual assault and who you know, quote unquote, won against his accuser. And that makes us kind of obligated to point out that he was simply not charged. And in a jurisdiction that is completely and totally permeated by his fame, um, he was never vindicated. You know, it, it was simply not charged with a crime. And the accusation was never really retracted. You know, a lot of people are easy to say, oh yeah, the, the, She came out and said she was lying and like, no, that didn't happen. Some shady shit went down in the process of the investigation and his possible prosecution and he was not charged. Pointing at that story in relation to this is not the look you're going for. Like, that's not what you're you're saying things that you're not meaning to be saying by pointing to that saga when this starts. And also these two separate these two incidents aren't in the same vacuum. They're very separate incidents. And just because 
one incident went in a direction where you think you can point, and I would back you up on this, Evan, they shouldn't be pointing to this. Mm-hmm. Like There was no vindication of Patrick Kane. Nobody went, oh, Patrick, Clay- Patrick Kane is clearly not a rapist. Right, and he also had a pattern. He had a posse that he traveled with that was sort of notorious for getting into tight situations and, and starting fights and starting shit at bars. And, you know, he himself got chucked out of a UW-Madison frat party for choking a girl. I think what we're coming to with everything we've said is there is room to allow for justice and to also believe the survivors. Mm-hmm. And to jump out and immediately declare oh, we're, we're going to see Jake Vertanen vindicated because of this one thing in the past. That's not a, a, a valid argument, and it's not an argument that you really want to be on the side of. No. It's, it minimalizes the damage done to a victim by, by virtually erasing them. And it also, do you really want to be the guy who stands up for rapists? Do you Reflexively? Really, without hearing any of the, the details, you go, oh, he clearly couldn't have done that, and he's going to be vindicated. Really? He absolutely could have done that. Or every single person in the world is capable of this. There's no one person out there who can hold as a bastion of could never sexually assault someone. There's nobody out there. Right. So don't sit there and say, like, you could say, I would be, I was surprised by the accusations because Mm -hmm. so-and-so doesn't seem like the type, but that doesn't mean that they're not capable. I mean to say that, you know, this could be anybody. This could be anybody. This could be your next door neighbor. This could be your best friend. This could be you. Right. That's why it always makes it important to believe the accounts of accusers and survivors and take them very seriously and really go through the effort to get to all of the facts before taking a side. What's most important here is the victim and their continued health, their ability to repair the damage done by these incidents. Right. And find some semblance of justice, which can often be very you know, difficult to find in these cases. Yeah. And so whatever they need to find that closure, we should be giving them. And we as, especially as men in this situation, but as the general populace need to allow them that space so that they can heal and Going out on Twitter and saying, you know, Patrick Kane got treated this way. So clearly Jake Furtanen is the same thing. Going out and defending Jake Furtanen, that, that's not helping anything. No. And it's a really stupid take. It's really fucking stupid. <laughs> so, like, hopefully as we learn more about this, it becomes more clear and we can allow the proper avenues for adjudicating this to do what they need to do. Yeah, and uh, hopefully the Canadian police and the British Columbia government and uh, take this seriously, you know, do everything that they're supposed to do with the uh, the tact that they should operate with. And hopefully we get, you know, a convincing statement from the league here pretty soon because their silence is not a good look. Now, what was amazing and what is always amazing in these situations is the amount of armchair lawyer dudes that come out of woodwork to like explain to women who actually are lawyers, how the law works is just always flabbergasts me. Like it blows my fucking mind. I love a good mansplaining (laughs) sesh where 
the woman responds with actual facts and the man goes, (laughs) or when the man mansplains something that is just completely and utterly fucking wrong. Yeah. You know, even to my, I don't know, relatively limited legal knowledge, (laughs) you know, uh, it kind of reminds me of how everyone explained in the, uh, early going how Pittsburgh was washed and then Sidney Crosby said, but, uh, uh, no. And now they're in first hats off to the penguins for doing more with less. And I don't know, making this roster come alive and clinching a playoff spot before any of your other, uh, compatriots in the East have. I'm with you. I'm just as shocked that Pittsburgh is the first place team in the East also, I mean, based on our projections or who the picks that we made at the beginning of the season, I think we're both just as shocked now mm-hmm. that Philly is out. Yeah. Ouch. I mean, we will not get to see a Keystone State series this year in the playoffs, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, especially because those two teams hate each other. Speaking of hate, we we teased this several months ago i think Mm -hmm. at this point that we were going to start a rivalry series on the podcast Mm -hmm. and what better time to talk about a rivalry when one has clinched a playoff spot (laughs) and one has been eliminated entirely yeah usually you know we don't like hate if you hate people for being another gender sexual orientation uh from another nation that's not cool yeah hating people for liking a different sports team than you, very cool. Totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> Especially um, if you're in the same state. Yes. Now, you may think that because of Evan and I's personal allegiances, we mm-hmm. would start with Chicago and Detroit. However, that's too easy. Yeah. And also, we want to still have like a podcast next week. Yeah. And also, I don't think we have that much time. Like, <laughs> we yeah. could just sit here and go, well, what about this for <laughs> it would be four hours of whataboutism and about six <laughs> minutes into editing, I would be so pissed off that I would say we're done. Yeah, I think it's much better, you know, kind of carefully sprinkled in, into <laughs> it's different we, episodes. We may get get there like maybe that's our sign off episode like that's our last episode of mash <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, that's a really good idea uh like we're like okay you know this has run its course like we've had a great time but you know it's like 20 years later or this summer i don't know <laughs> but we uh, should just sign off with the mash music so anyways to start this rivalry series off we're gonna start with the penguins and the flyers one of the most continuous, long-lasting, and virulent batches of hatred in the NHL. Mm-hmm. You could say there are, are rivalries that have burned brighter mm-hmm. or burned hotter, but rarely has a rivalry burned as continuously and as uh, with as much animosity as Pittsburgh and Philly. Philly and Pittsburgh, like... Like, that's like other sides of families that hate each other. That's like you married into the wrong city and moved to the other coal mine across the state. To do this rivalry series, we decided we would reach out to the people who directly live that rivalry. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of friends who throughout the country, but Portland metro area especially, who are fans of either one of these teams. And we reached out to just kind of gain some insight as to why they hate one another. Yeah, some journalists call this, quote-unquote, reporting or (laughs) research. So I guess we can try it. 
We call it hitting up our friends. <laughs> uh, we're not going to use names because we don't want to, you know, we don't want our friends to face repercussions for their actions. <laughs> oh, okay. No, no first names either. No, let's not use names. Do you want like initials? Nah. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll Good, keep I don't these, have anybody's last name. We'll keep people anonymous here, but this just for, uh, for the sake of joy, these are, these are our friends. <laughs> <laughs> Pittsburgh hates Philly. I will partially say. because they're forever in their sort of city shadow. You know, Philly's older, a little bit more it's uh, on the coast. Yeah. It's got more history. Was a capital of the United States of America for yeah. a very short amount of time. Has the Liberty Bell. Right. Pittsburgh nobody had none about. of these things. Yeah. I, I I will say this, and we're not going to like choose who's better or anything like no. that. But I will say as a point to Philly, we got their responses really quick. And Pittsburgh <laughs> fans dragged their ass. <laughs> so thank you to Philly fans for getting to us months ago. <laughs> But I would also say that, like, generally in terms of cities, you know, being a Midwesterner, like, I tend to gravitate a little bit more towards Pittsburgh. You know, it's a little bit more my kind of blue collar person. I get along with people from Pittsburgh better than I think I get along with people from Philly. I don't know. That's a very small sample size and anecdotal. But so we'll start with why Pittsburgh hates philly so we asked for we're just gonna read the responses and then just add our own flavor mm-hmm. into these i think and this will this will be fun this is a friend of ours who is a pittsburgh fan says so obviously as someone from pgh which i didn't know that was a, an acronym maybe is that the airport code for pittsburgh i, don't I think know. it might be hang on they say so obviously as someone from pgh i am stands for placental growth hormone <laughs> I think that's a point for Philly. <laughs> um, yes, it is often rendered as PGH. Okay. I'm going to be, bi- they say, I'm going to be biased, but I think there's a lot of reasons not to like the Flyers. The easiest one is to chalk it up to an intra-Pennsylvania thing, but the Pirates and Phillies really never play each other, and neither do the Steelers and Eagles. Even the colleges in the cities, Pitt and Carnegie Mellon in, P- in PGH and Penn and Villanova in Philly aren't huge rivals. Yeah, keep going. Aren't huge rivals as the main sports school in the state, I'm guessing is Penn State they're referring to, is smack dab in the middle and draws for people from all over. Hockey is a much more physical game than football or baseball, and the Pens and Flyers play each other often. So that, in conjunction with the same state thing, makes for a kind of perfect storm. Now, not that Flyers fans are whiny crybabies, but wherever <laughs> any individual hockey fan would rank Mario Lemieux and Sidney Crosby, it's fair to say it's fair to say that the pens have had one of the best two or three players in the entire league on their team for most of the last four decades. Philadelphia has not bless their hearts. Very w- true. Which I learned only recently that bless your heart is basically saying, fuck you. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's one of my new favorite state say- sayings. And I am from about as far North in this country as you can get. <laughs> They, as in the Flyers, also have gone almost half a century without winning a cup, while the Penguins have won five since 1991. So they're very much got a little brother chip on their shoulder situation going on. I think anyone would like a team that plays a more physical side, but the Flyers really play a dirty game. Just a quick check, the last two years the Pens won the cup. The penalty minutes were 693 and 703 for Pittsburgh versus 
966 and 844 for Philly. So Philly puts in a little bit more time in the box than the Penguins. They also ended up with Yager at one point, And even though he played for like half the teams in the league, that still wasn't cool. Anyway, <laughs> there are a lot of reasons to not like the Flyers. Did Yager actually play for Philly? For yeah, a little he while? did. For both of them. Yeah. So he's the one. I mean, he's played for so many teams. He sort of is like neutral, like Switzerland. I don't, I don't know how to follow that up. Uh, so we've got some, we got some very base level things here, right? Mm-hmm. So Pittsburgh has had better players, which is not, that's inarguable. Crosby mm-hmm. and Lemieux are both in probably the top 10 players in NHL history, top 20 f- at least, um, with Lemieux probably being top two. Like is yeah. Lemieux the second best player in NHL history? Probably. Yeah. Behind Steve Eiserman. Um, <laughs> They are the more likable franchise, I believe, is what is being said here. The Flyers are the dirty team, which is also kind of inarguable. Like, they're the Broad Street Bullies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Legion of Doom line, mm-hmm. when they had poor concussed Eric Lindros and Mark Recchi and John LeClaire and all those players. You know, they, they're they making some valid points to their argument here mm-hmm. that, you know, the the Flyers are just kind of the grittier shall we say team (laughs) of the two and i think there's also another point of of contrast here that the pittsburgh response is genuinely pretty nice like they're you know they're coming at it from a a perspective of of you know i really don't like those guys (laughs) on the other hand we have the flyers Mm -hmm. and their fans and they had some stuff to say we have a sort of distant friend of the podcast, someone I call my equipment manager back in Connecticut. He had something to say when we asked him for his thoughts when uh, he let me know that he was a Flyers fan marooned amongst a bunch of Boston Bruins fans in Connecticut. And he said, I hate Pittsburgh because they're garbage franchise in terms of their treatment of players not named Crosby or Malkin. Sports are a business, but they treated so many vets like shit. Fleury should still be a pen. And now look, their goalies suck. Which is a bit, bit debatable now with the emergence of Tristan Jerry. He also included Matt Murray after Flurry, and that didn't exactly age well. But this was also like right around the time that Matt Murray signed that uh, yeah. extension with the Sens. So, well, they also didn't treat Matt Murray very well. The dude no. won them a cup, and they were like, "Be gone, that's a one." They also knew what he was, I think, yes. to a certain extent. And yeah, to see them, you know, treat. Marc-Andre Fleury, the way that they did, I think has engendered a lot of anger at ownership the t- yeah, and the team. How and, the team is managed. Right. And, you know, good time to point out that Marc-Andre Fleury has just tied Italian businessman Roberto Ruango in all-time goaltending win. Marc-Andre Fleury is a historically good goalie that they thought was washed up and, you know, kind of treated poorly on the way out the door. I really hope that Roberto Ruango becomes... <laughs> just like a long-standing meme of the of the podcast. I think it already is. Good, good, good. This was a kind of a a common refrain from the Flyers responses that we got that mm-hmm. the Pittsburgh franchise runs itself very much like a business despite, you know, despite the fact that Mario Lemieux runs the day-to-day operations of the franchise, he kind of treats some of his better players like poo-poo. <laughs> and that's something that you know, as a Wings fan, we had this long history of taking our taking care of our best players that kind of 
eventually went too far. Mm -hmm. And that sees, you know, Justin Applicator getting the contract he got. But there was a GM changeover. Right. Yeah. Protect. What I'm saying is (laughs) protecting Steve Eiserman and Henrik Zetterberg, like protecting those guys. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. Protecting Matt Murray maybe doesn't. <laughs> I mean, if uh, but protecting Mark Andre Fleury absolutely did, and they were like, "Bye." And speaking of protection, you know how I thought you were going to go into a condom jingle there, <laughs> <laughs> like, "Oh, we have ads." <laughs> <laughs> no. Speaking of protection, how much different would this rivalry be if Eric Lindros had been somewhat protected by his teammates back in the day, or you know, protected by the league? Because I mean, his was maybe one of the brightest stars to be extinguished by the concussion monster in all of hockey history. And had he played a full career, career, that may have equalized the uh, high-end talent gap that we see between Pittsburgh and Philly. We forget about this kind of because of the end of his career and how it flamed out because of his health issues. But Lindros was a monster for like five or six years. Yeah. Won the Hart Trophy as league MVP. Lindros was a force. Couldn't beat the Red Wings, but hey, you know, (laughs) you got to just let me have these things. The wings are so bad. (laughs) I mean, conversely, Mario Lemieux got off his couch, decided he kind of wanted to play hockey again. And then won the Rocket Richard scoring trophy that year. Yeah, Lemieux is legitimately one of like he is on that Mount Rushmore, I think, of of the NHL. It's like him, Gretzky, Howe, and Bobby Orr, maybe? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you say that, you know, the Penguins are run sort of like a business, sure. Does that mean that Philly is run sort of like organized crime? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it's definitely a uh they definitely have uh enforcers and you know it's definitely a place where like yeah the gang beats the shit out of the montreal canadians again like to reference always sunny in philadelphia they take penalty minutes like it's their job and they have amazing low-level gritty players you know the the radko gudas of the world matt niskanen and uh i mean Couturier, played Giro, there for a while like yeah, Claude Giroux is... He's a shit stirrer. Oh, yeah. And absolutely, like, I mean of that. that team. Like, he is, like, as a captain, he just exemplifies that team. Like, when we when he had double wrist surgery one year, there were pictures of him, like, a week later with two casts playing beer pong. That's Philadelphia Flyers hockey, baby. Like, Gritty, Gritty is so Philly. I feel like we're convincing ourselves to be Philadelphia fans. No, I mean, I have a begrudging (laughs) respect for both of these teams. So I'm just kind of trying to wax on that, you know. We've got some more from Mm -hmm. the Philadelphia side. This is me quoting again. Why this Flyer fan hates the NHL hockey team in the rust bucket town of Pittsburgh. Oh, I see. This embarrassing franchise created tanking before it was a thing. Very true. Now, was that for Lemieux or Crosby? Both, actually. (laughs) And Malkin and Marc-Andre Fleury. Thank you for... uh... Over the years, the former player, now owner, couldn't cry loud enough about the NHL being too physical. This is so well written. He would piss and moan constantly about this rule or that rule. 
Take your team to a European elite league then. No, 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 no. He decided to threaten and move his team to Kansas City. What? (laughs) Ah, but then the real hate comes when the fans come into play. These scum of the barrel elitists love to tell people how above the fray they are, and they are the most supportive in the league. Wait, is that a Philly fan calling Pittsburgh elitist? Yes. These scum of the barrel elitists love to tell people how above the fray they are. And they are the most supportive in the league. Elitist as a pejorative is just always so damn funny to me because it's like, how are you both scum of the barrel and elitist at the same time? Uh, I don't know, but it's fun. (laughs) They're playing both sides. Yet instead of building a new arena without taxpayers' help like the Flyers did, they cried to the legislature again and th- again threatened to move to the, the team to Kansas City and tax and taxpayers built it because the snot-nosed fans weren't loyal enough to support it on their own. If all of that is not enough, these pieces of shit fans come into the Flyers building and talk shit. Walk <laughs> out of the hospital next day bitching. <laughs> they clearly take after sports' biggest hate-the-face crybaby and I'm going to assume he's talking about Sidney Crosby there. This player can't take three strides without winning. For the love of God, Schittsburg, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Wait, was it three strides without winning or three strides without whining? Both are ap- applicable, I, uh, but he said like, whining. Uh, he also you know, has done a lot of winning. Well, that's awesome. And that was super well written. And yeah, I just, I love every and, second of that. And feels very Philadelphia. Oh, absolutely. I also forgot that Mario kept threatening to move the team to kansas city half of me you know knows a bunch of kansas city fans and kind of wished that had happened but um yeah that's that's always super funny when you you know like what didn't the rickets like try and threaten to move the cubs at one point (laughs) like come on come on now but that's really awesome i didn't realize that philadelphia paid for their own stadium the old-fashioned way without taxpayer support. Like, yeah, like that's a, a huge point in their favor for me. Like it's supposed to be done. Right. I fucking hate the tax scam that Billionaires. always gets run yeah. when you're trying to, you know, fund a ball stadium. I really love our, the contrasting styles of the mm-hmm. Pittsburgh and Philly fans uh, in their responses. And thank you to everybody. We're not naming you for obvious reasons, but thank you to our friends who threw down the gauntlet here yeah i want to give them like uh like pseudonyms or something <laughs> like like we're like we're uh let's call them all share <laughs> i was just thinking you know like we're dear abby on some level <laughs> i think what this this first installment of this series really signifies though is that the passion for your own team also spills over into hatred for the opposing team and it really kind of it's it's poetic and beautiful but also full of curse words and hate and and, <laughs> and also vitriol. you discover something about yourself as a fan the first time you learn to sort of hate a rival as a blackhawks fan of the cane taves era the canucks are the biggest rival for me that you know the sedines were always the second biggest team out there and and the biggest mountain that we would have to go through towards a cup and they kind of signed the eventual death knell for chicago's playoff hopes one year with what is alex burrow's game seven overtime goal you know that's a rival the one that you meet in the playoffs and it goes either way pittsburgh and philly have met for the stanley cup playoffs four times over 10 seasons between 2008 to 2018 so this rivalry is 
afresh. Which is basically every time that Philly made the playoffs because mm-hmm. they make it every other year. And the one time, or, yeah, the Blackhawks beat them in a really tough series in the final one year. And that's as close as Giroux and Couturier have gotten that year with Michael Layton as their goalie. <laughs> You're definitely right. Like Rivalries make sports better. I remember watching Tottenham Hotspur the first year and being like, oh, this is fun, I guess. And then I learned to hate Arsenal. <laughs> and it becomes so much better. Because oh, yeah. Fuck those fake North London scrubs. <laughs> Rivalries make sports better. They make every, they make it more interesting. They give you a reason to hate as well as love. And what is sport without both of those things? Thank you for listening to our first uh, Rivalries series. We hope to kind of bring these to the forefront as we, as mm-hmm. we continue. It's also one of the reasons we didn't start with Chicago and Detroit is because we wanted to, you know, cut our teeth on someone else's problems first. <laughs> and it's just fun to involve your fans. Uh-huh. Or your, sorry. It's just fun to involve your friends. No, um, you can call them fans. I, I like you calling them fans. That made me happy. Oh, it implies that we have some. Uh-huh. Oh, nice. Isn't that like our moms? <laughs> you know whose mom was really happy? Ryan Miller's. He's, his wife is really happy, too. Yeah. He's and hanging him up after a amazing career. You know, we talked earlier about Lerberto Ruango being a gold medal winner for Canada. You know, a lot of those games were played with Ryan Miller on the other side and ending up a silver medal winner. Despite massive heroics. Yeah. He played his balls out for some undermanned teams. I mean, that's kind of the legacy of his career. No, he did amazing service in Love. Buffalo for years and then went on to Vancouver for many years following in Roberto Luongo's footsteps and helped keep that dynasty or not dynasty, but helped keep that very good team in contention as a michigan guy i always had this begrudging respect for ryan miller he was incredible at michigan state mm-hmm. won a hobie baker award i forget the exact stats now but he was just unreal in his, college his, hockey his, yeah college, i think yeah. he still has records that haven't been touched in yeah. college hockey he was the guy that i always wanted the red wings to sign mm-hmm. like oh man his contract's coming up in buffalo red wings sign him oh they resigned him never yeah mind. an absolutely likable player paragon of the game the winningest American goaltender of all time, even over like Van Beesbrook and Richter. Connor Hellebuck says, hold my beer, but that's going to be a little while. Yeah. Congrats to him on a great career. And he gets a win in his likely final start with Anaheim. I hope it's his last start just because the likelihood of Anaheim winning another game is not very high. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, well, I guess, you know, we had you penciled in for another one, bud, but uh, we're going to, we're going to give that one to the young kid because. Just take the dub. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to end you on a win. Speaking of young kids, uh, Cole Caulfield had his first game or first goal in his NHL career, and it happens to be an overtime game-winning goal. Tire city of Montreal is walking around with their wieners out, just yeah, hard and impactful. Yeah, there's a, a Viagra surplus in Montreal right now because of how erect everyone is called for Cole Caulfield. Cole. <laughs> it of- was a great goal. Like he sneaks in behind the defender and then throttles down his skating to put him right in the opportunity to score that goal. Absolutely living up to the hype. I don't know. I wish I was a Canadiens fan right now. Like they're doing everything they can to look like an amazing team. Like Shea Weber isn't playing and they look better. My favorite take on this goal was Mm -hmm. from at third period suits 
on mm-hmm. Twitter. They said Cole Caulfield is so small that he scored his first goal on a Petri dish, <laughs> which is, or on, sorry, a Jeff Petri dish, a Jeff Petri dish. Uh, That's cute. It was, I was just, uh, sometimes Twitter is glorious. I mean, as someone that is five, seven and 165 pounds, you always kind of wonder how embellished that actually is. But uh, yeah, pulling for Cole Caulfield to just keep making these awesome goals happen. It's also pretty sweet that both him and Alexi Lafreniere scored their first goals this season as OT game winners. That's pretty fun to have, you know, two high name rooks perform in clutch situations like that. But both were just like hard nose going to the net goals. And I think that speaks a lot for the future of their careers. And finally, we have a 32nd NHL team officially. The Kraken have been released. The The ownership of the Kraken, the Seattle Kraken, f- uh, paid their last installment of their admittance fee to the league. A cool $650 million. Yeah, nothing, you know... Just a, just a few bones here yeah, and there. Just like just like paying for Netflix. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> After every Netflix hike jump, price jump, I'm just like, God damn, I could own an NHL franchise by now. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, but uh, you know, now we have opened up the Kraken's window for signing coach and um, players and other things they need, training staff, like equipment, and uh, uh, they can sign free agents and trade i have an idea for their first player what us i mean vegas did that and they'd sign some also ran as their first player like b- way before the draft and and he got like his 15 minutes of fame and then like returned to his echl team or something yeah i'll glad i'll gladly return to our roller hockey league <laughs> as soon as it's feasible for us and our health so yeah like seattle if you're listening, and I know you are, because you know <laughs> so many listeners. Yeah, you uh, can have your first forward and defenseman right here. Yeah, we get pucks deep, and with that, we've come to a close. Thank you, as always, for listening to us blather on about hockey and progressivism and the world and life in general. Yeah, we and yeah. the good kinds of hate. Yes, the good kinds of hate. Because every human is going to hate. It's all about channeling your hate in the good directions yeah you know over the last couple of months we've received some amazing feedback from uh, listeners of the show and so thank you very much to those of you who continue to give us feedback and support so we can become a better more in tune and more polished podcast Uh, if you would like to give us feedback or you would just like to see the hijinks we get up to on the internet or if you want to see some weird videos of Chris Chelios fighting your favorite NHL star throughout history (laughs) Uh, yeah if you want that as well you can check out our website handsomehockey.com we are handsome hockey podcast on Instagram at handsome hockey on Twitter you can email us at the handsome hockey at handsome hockey pod at gmail.com or find us on the handsome hockey Facebook page. And if you're listening to us, you're already probably on one of these, but we are available on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Amazon podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, overcast, red circle, and now in varying uh, frequency, YouTube. Yeah. And if you are on one of those apparatus for listening to a podcast and you like what you listening, what you're listening to, 
shoot us a like, shoot us a review, follow us, anything. All of those things help in the long run. And so we would really greatly appreciate you uh, letting us know that you love us. Don't let us know if you hate us. We just can't. We're too fragile at this point. We can't. (laughs) And with that, thank you so much, everybody, for listening and stay handsome, everyone. Restez beau, tout le monde.